Raider Nation, Raider Nation. Y'all still think I'm tripping? Y'all still think I'm tripping, Raider Nation? Give them some time. Let them build this, let them build that. Darren Waller, best tight end in the league. Out of here. Out of here. McPuss. Y'all don't believe in McPuss. Cofield and Company NFL Insider, Miles Simmons from Pro Football Talk, joins us now. Been a bad day. He's not a fan of McDaniels. Raiders super fan, McPuss. That's not his name. That's what he's calling McDaniels. It, no need for it. Is it Boogie Cousins? No. Why? He just tweeted out, Raiders, what are we doing with a bunch of emojis? Oh, really? Yeah. All right. All right. Well, Darren Waller is gone, traded to the Giants. Jimmy G is in for Derek Carr. Some Raiders fans are very confused, and some are shocked by Waller going bye-bye. Miles Simmons is in from Pro Football Talk, our National Football Insider, on Tuesdays. Miles, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well, guys. I guess I'm better than that particular Raiders fan. Yeah. He, uh, he's not a fan of McDaniels, and for some reason, the <laughs> moniker McPuss is uh, is what he wants to go with. I'm not can sure. You, can we say that on the radio? McPuss? Sure. Of course. Can't say more than that. Okay. <laughs> Why not? Why not? Ari's, Ari just burned out the dump button, freaking out, hitting the button. Um, <laughs> are you surprised that Waller was traded? A little surprised by Waller getting traded. I mean, especially because, look, they, they just didn't maximize his value on the trade market. If they could have gotten a two for him last year, which was reported, then that's what they should have done if they were just going to get rid of him now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and now you, you really have a barren tight end room um, because Foster Moreau is a free agent. So unless you're going to bring him back or you've got a better plan, I don't know if they want to bring in uh, Schultz unless he's just gotten signed in the two hours it's been since I logged off my computer and worked worked out um or, or somebody else like it's just sicky unless again he's gotten signed in the two hours it's been since i logged off my computer and have been working out i mean i, I don't know what you're gonna do like it's 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 kind of a weird situation you're not allowed to work out on free agent day dude <laughs> well listen in in my place of employment there are other people who are on the clock you know because i start at like 5 30 in the morning and so once it gets to be 2 30 and like I'll, I'll work until you know three ish and on days like this where it is extremely busy, but like, dude, I, I, I got to shut my brain off at some point. So are you following the TMZ aspect of this, that the dual weddings, the dueling weddings of Darren Waller uh, and Max Crosby led to this demise? Yes, I, I have followed that. Um, Vic Tafer put that out of The Athletic, obviously, that uh, that Darren Waller was upset that um, Josh McDaniel started talking out of the side of his mouth, I guess we could say, at the Combine with telling everybody that he was getting married. Which, I mean, I can understand if you're not making that public, if you would be mad that that's something that gets out. Um, I just feel like that's not necessarily why somebody would get traded, though. Like, what does that have? What does Dave Ziegler really care if Darren Waller's not happy? Unless there was some sort of behind the scenes, like, yo, you need to trade me now kind of request. But, I mean, even if that request happened, it's kind of like, who cares? Like, you just have to deal with it until, you know, something else happens. But I, I just feel like this is something that they wanted to do because they want to go in a different direction offensively. The different direction being Jacoby Myers and Philip Dorsett. And I think that those guys have played somewhere before that Josh McDaniels was familiar with. This is, mm -hmm. for those that think that they are just trying to reconstruct the Patriots, this is a lot of ammunition. 
Oh, absolutely. And I mean, look, it's not like they're paying them that much money. You know, I mean, like they're not resetting the wide receiver market with Dorsett and Jacoby Myers, and they shouldn't be because um, you already have Devontae Adams anyway. And who knows what they're going to do with Hunter Renfro now? I mean, with the, the fact that Darren Waller is on his way out would makes would make me less surprised if Hunter Renfro would also somehow um, make his way toward the exit. But yeah, I mean, look, Jacoby Myers is all right. He's a little talented. He's got something to him. Um, I don't know that you're really going to rely on him, you know, for what more than 800 yards. I mean, that's been his career high. He's been in that 800 range. If you think that he's going to pair with Devonte Adams and all of a sudden become a 1,000 yard wide receiver, especially with Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback, I think you got another thing coming. But um, it's guys who are familiar with Josh McDaniels and his system, and he knows how to get the most out of them. So it doesn't shock me that that's the direction they're going. So you mentioned a name, and it's Miles Simmons, Pro Football Talk, joining us as he does each and every week at this time. Uh, you mentioned the name Jimmy G. A big quarterback signing for the Raiders. Is it exciting? No, but, I mean, it, it shouldn't be, right? I mean, this is essentially a lateral move, but it's not a lateral move in terms of salary um, because you are getting Jimmy Garoppolo at a lower salary number than you would have had with Derek Carr. And, frankly, I mean, I think – it's best for everybody if Derek Carr departed the Raiders franchise at this point. I mean, Adam, I mean, you've been covering this team for years and years, and it seemed like every single year there was some rumor that Derek Carr might be out, you know, whether it was under John Gruden or then in the transition to uh, McDaniels and Ziegler. And finally it just happened. And I, I think, you know, when you have been a part of the franchise like Derek Carr has been and things just didn't work out like they didn't work out with Josh McDaniels last year, it makes sense to bring in somebody who McDaniels has a history with and who has won big games, right? He's been – Jimmy Garoppolo is an experienced quarterback. He's not the most talented guy. He is obviously also pretty injury prone. And so, you know, if you're going to think that Jimmy G is going to play all 17 games in 2023, I kind of doubt it just based on the history. Um, but he does give you an opportunity to at least give uh, whoever you draft, if you do draft a quarterback, some time to get acclimated to what things are and what things need to be um, under the Raiders. And if the Raiders are not convinced that their next franchise quarterback is going to be either available to them or is not a part of this draft class, then that also gives you the insurance to say, all right, well, we've got a quarterback that can play this year and that can play for us probably into next year too so that we can get that guy maybe next year. And you know, you know, along those same lines, you mentioned you know it's a lateral move, but it is cheaper. Also, if you had to have a quarterback – Take a, a rookie under his wing and mentor him. Which one would you rather have, Derek Carr or Jimmy Garoppolo? I, I would rather have Jimmy Garoppolo at least at this point. And I, I don't mean that in a disrespectful way to Derek Carr, but look, Jimmy Garoppolo's done it before. And if you listen to what Trey Lance has said about Jimmy Garoppolo, I mean, he's called him basically one of his best teammates ever. And so that tells me something. You know, whether that's just public lip service or not, I think that it means something about the way Jimmy Garoppolo has been able to navigate and handle the last two years that he's had with San Francisco. So, I mean, the Raiders have made it clear that they want a quarterback in the draft. As you said, maybe they don't get one. There, There is, you know, obviously one and two look like they're going to be quarterbacks. You would think that the third pick is on the block, and if somebody wants a quarterback, they have to move up to three. Like, what do you think the chances are the Raiders do select a quarterback in your mind in the first round? Well, I, I, 
it depends on if they want to go up, man. And and I don't know that they would want to do that. You know, I mean, just based on the way things are going right now, I I and the way that um, McDaniel's and Ziegler were talking at the combine, you know, reading their quotes, hearing them, it, it just seems like they want somebody who they are convinced will be their starter that will essentially save their jobs for the next, you know, five, six, seven, eight, however many years, right? And, you know, with this quarterback class, yeah, Bryce Young is super talented, but he's probably going to go number one or number two. C.J. Stroud, super talented, number one or number two. But after that, you've got significant question marks with Will Levis. You've got question marks with Anthony Richardson. I mean, it's going to take a little bit for him to get acclimated to the league probably. And who knows if those guys are even going to be available to you by the time that you get down to seven. And so you have to weigh that risk reward of, all right, do I really want to trade future assets to go up and get somebody that might be at three, might be at four, might be at five, whatever it is that is going to have those significant questions. And I, if, if I'm the Raiders, I don't know if I want to do that. If somebody falls into my lap at seven, I would be more inclined to do it than if it's draft night or a couple days before the draft. And then you're looking at it and you look at who is picking in the top three and the top four. And, and because I, I would think that there are going to be more trades um, before the next six weeks are over that are going to affect the top four. Um, and, and if you're saying to yourself, okay, we're convinced we like one of these guys, it'll be all right, then fine. But if, if you're not convinced, then you better, I would let them come to you at seven rather than try and trade up and make sure you make it happen. Oh, I want to get your thoughts on this. You said there could be more movement. I have seen it speculated that Carolina thinks the pick will be worth more by draft night. And they did this so that they could trade out. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I don't think you do that. I mean, I'll say this. I mean, in my experience, I worked for the Los Angeles Rams when they traded up to number one overall. And then, you know, there was still a show of, oh, man, are they going to pick Jared Goff or are they going to pick Carson Wentz? They knew from the moment they executed that trade that they were going to pick Jared Goff. I don't think you trade up to number one overall unless you have a very strong conviction in who it is that you're going to select, especially because they also gave up somebody in DJ Moore that we know they believe in. So I just, I, well, at least, you know, Matt Rule did, and I, you can say whether or not Frank Reich did or not. I mean, whatever. But I, I just, I think from that standpoint, you know what you're doing. At least you have a pretty darn good idea. You're you're 97 to 99% sure. And maybe if somebody overwhelms you because they fell in love with Bryce Young or CJ Stroud or whatever, then maybe you consider moving back down a pick or two. But you're not going to do that if you've already – typically you're not going to do that if you've already traded all the way up. You've traded all the way up because you're convicted in what you're going to do. Uh, looks like Michael Thomas believes in Derek Carr. He's signing a deal with the Saints, and $10 million seems like a lot for a guy that just won't play. Yeah, and, and you know, I mean, I think there's a lot of incentives, too, that can push him up, and that's all well and good, but he's got to get on the field, right? And Derek Carr had been talking about how Michael Thomas was recruiting him there and whatnot, and now, well, Michael Thomas got recruited by Carr to stay or whatever, and that's kind of cute, but I, I, look – They've got to do something there that makes them more powerful offensively because I frankly don't think Derek Carr is going to push them that much further. I mean, I, I, I think Derek Carr is plenty talented. It's just that, I don't know, I, I, I don't, 
I don't I don't feel like that's all that great of a powerful move for the the New Orleans Saints. I think Derek Carr in the absolute right situation would be great. But I don't know that that's the New Orleans Saints, unfortunately. Miles Simmons, Football Insider, Pro Football Talk. You can see him on Peacock as part of the programming with PFT. I want to do a giveaway right now. 364-1100, caller 7, Kevin Hart, Reality Check Tour in town this weekend. Two tickets for Resorts World Theater, AXS.com. Ari's going to give you two tickets, caller 7364-1100, which sets us up for one of the greatest shows at running back in the league in Austin Eckler who may not have a market because of what is happening now with running backs. The guy scores touchdowns. He's great out of the backfield catching passes. And I started to think, like, who's he going to go to to try to execute a trade and get 13, 14 mil a year? This is nuts. The NFL is crazy now. I mean, is it, though? I mean, it's, it's a roster construction question. And this is something that, you know, I talked about with Peter King on the Peter King podcast, which you can also check out anywhere you get your podcasts. But, I mean, it, it's a weird roster construction question because the last running back we saw who was great was Isaiah Pacheco. And where was he drafted in the seventh round? And what did the Chiefs do a couple of years ago after they won the Super Bowl? Well, they drafted Clyde Edwards-Alaire. And, you know, if you look at the production and what's gone on, Isaiah Pacheco clearly outplayed uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire even before Clyde Edwards-Alaire got hurt in the 2022 season. So with that being said, if I'm constructing a roster, right, and I'm one of these really good GMs or I'm on a good team or whatever, why in the world would I trade assets for a running back who is going to be 28, 29, 28 in next season and he has already, you know, surpassed 1,500 uh, scrimmage yards in the last couple of years. He's scored 30 some touchdowns, more than any more touchdowns than anybody else, and we got to give him credit for that. But why am I going to pay that guy that much money when I can use a seventh round pick if my scouting department is good enough and pick somebody who's going to be just as good for a yeah. fraction of the cost? It doesn't well, make sense from a roster construction standpoint. Sorry to cut you off. The, the problem is I like Telesco across the board, but he hasn't been good drafting running backs. So he's been, he's been drafting running backs about every year. They really haven't come up with anything. But I also get the other side of it. Uh, when you're prepping to pay your quarterback 45 to $53 million a year, you probably can't have a $15 million running back. Exactly. And, and I mean, look, I, I think part of the reason why uh, Austin Eckler has been so productive out of the backfield is because Joe Lombardi's scheme had Justin Herbert throwing to uh, him out of the backfield a hundred plus times, right? That's not something that you should be doing when you have an arm like Justin Herbert. And I know that these guys were hurt, but you also have Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. You know, I, I just, their offensive schemes stunk last year and the year before. So now that you're not going to be throwing, you know, 50 passes behind the line of scrimmage every three weeks, you're going to have something a little bit different with Kellen Moore, I think, as the OC. And I think that makes it a little bit different where the Chargers are like, I mean, if you can find a trade partner, go ahead and good luck. I don't know what Austin Eckler is going to do because he's looking for his third contract. It's not just his second contract. So is he going to hold out? Is that really going to work for him? I don't know. Jalen Ramsey's gone from the Rams. He's mm-hmm. in Miami now. Uh, could they break this whole thing up? Can they, can they work a deal with – with Matt Stafford and someone, I don't even know how it would work money-wise. 
Oh, it would not work very well money wise. I mean, they no. would take an obscene cap hit, like more than fifty million, if they decided to trade Matthew Stafford right now. I don't think that that's realistic. Um, and you know, if you believe Les Snead, and I kind of do, having um, been there and know what he says, um, I, I don't think that they want to get rid of Matthew Stafford. I'll put it like this: if the Rams really want to like tank, if you will, without tanking. Uh, I don't know how well Sean McVay is going to handle that because you saw last year that he was basically having a freaking, you know, conniption every single week because the Rams were bad and because they had a horrible offensive line because their offensive line got hurt, the you know, so early. And then Matthew Stafford got hurt. Aaron Donald got hurt. Cooper Cup got hurt because their backup quarterback was so bad. He threw him a hospital ball. It's just not something that I think would go very well for the Rams with their staff, right? So they've got to do something to kind of retool. I think that they still could be, you know, one of those middling teams that maybe sneaks into the playoffs because Sean McVay is a good coach, but they've got to, they can't do that. And it's not going to be a fun year if they decide to trade Matthew Stafford. And I don't think McVay would handle that very well. Miles, we have a bracket contest here at uh, ESPN Las Vegas at lvsportsnetwork.com. You're not eligible to win the, the prizes because you're a guest on the show. People can go to lvsportsnetwork.com, uh, but maybe someone locally would want to steal your Final Four. You really know sports, so what do you got? Well, I really know sports, but I don't really know basketball that Columbia well, especially is not in. college basketball. Columbia is not, not in. Miles, sir. No, I know. Uh, Princeton is in from the Ivy League, representing the Ivy League. They beat Yale over the weekend, which I know also stop. upset you, Adam. Stop, stop. So, yeah, exactly. There you go. Upset my mom, too. She's a Yale alumna. So, uh, I'm going to go with Alabama, Marquette, Houston, and Kansas as my final four. And Marquette and Kansas are in there because two of my very good friends attended those universities. So, that's why. So, so far, everybody's taking Alabama, I think. Except for me. Yeah. We've, well, got, we've not, got five picks. Uh, four of the five are Alabama. Oh, yeah. I'm picking Alabama to win because of the story. I mean, it's just that it's the <laughs> way the universe works. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly Adam's rationale. And Alabama's yep. pretty good. But he, yeah, they're, they're Adam, great. They're... Adam just wants to see Greg Gumbel and the rest of the CBS people have to deal with this thing week after week. Yes. Yeah. And that's the, I, I feel like that's the way the universe works. And they also have the best player in the country. So you add those two things together, it probably uh, adds up to an Alabama victory. Would you like to change your final four now, Adam? No, I'm good. Okay. I don't nice. know. I know you, you wanted to take a random shot at Miles. I don't know how the, your relationship why, week to week, month to month you, works. Why would you say random shot? We're talking about Alabama. That's not even right. <laughs> no, no, I meant a random shot at Miles for take. Oh, stop. All right. That, I got caught in that net. <laughs> what a way to start the 5 o'clock hour. Miles, we appreciate it. I'm sorry about the end there. <laughs> I blame Adam. See you guys. Follow the guys on Twitter at Steve Cofield and at Adam Hill LVRJ. Or tweet the show at Cofield and Co. Hanging at the Battleborn Broadcast Center, it's Cofield and Company. Adam Hill, Cofield, 364-1100. Let's give away tickets to go see uh, Friday Night SmackDown, WWE. It's coming up on Friday, March 24th. Early show, 5 o'clock show, axs.com is where you can grab your tickets at the uh, MGM Grand Garden Arena is where the show is. WWE on the ground here in Vegas, Friday Night SmackDown. March 24th. Ari's got a pair of tickets. 364-1100, 364-1100. What do we got going on on the scoreboard here? 
First of all, Knights up big, middle of the second. It's 3-1 at the Flyers. That hasn't always been an easy spot or an easy place to win games. I noticed the VGK Twitter account. Man, they're funny. They do a, a really good job. The poll after the first intermission. This was brought to our attention. Big ice cream discussion. Is mint chocolate chip a, quote, weird ice cream flavor? Uh, yes, it's weird. No, it's normal and tasty. Verdict? I don't like it, but I don't think it's – I think it's normal. So I don't know if my – I don't think I fit in on any of those. Xavier Pope, our legal expert on Thursdays, I believe thinks that it's weird. Hmm. It is my favorite flavor. It's, I think it's objectively bad, but I, I also like, it's not weird. It's, it's been around so long. It's like yes. a normal. Yes. And I do throw thing. Reese's pieces in it because that ice cream joint that I used to go to, that was nor- mostly Northeast based. You remember? Friendlies. Sure. Used to have some. They're still around, aren't they? They are still around. And I often, I want to look at the price now of what like a five scoop Sunday is. Well, don't they also with, do- with peanut butter and chocolate sauce and Reese's Pieces, what that would cost now. Because I, I don't think I would get it because I'm cheap. I also don't think I can eat five scoops of ice cream anymore. I don't know how I did it when I was 19. Um, Less fat. That's awesome. Uh, well, that was awesome, but I used but to. Don't they also, didn't they also have the Conehead Sunday? I think they did. Yes. That was my It's a good spot. It's a good spot. You get a little breakfast there, some bad I burgers. feel like the, they're not, they don't sponsor anybody, do they? I feel like the food is pretty trash, hmm. but their, their desserts were you know, very, what they were known that, for. That's what they were known for. Yeah. yeah. Normal and tasty 70%. So, all right. A lot of people like mint chocolate chip. What if you think it's normal, but not tasty? You don't have a, you're just kind of left out. I didn't, I didn't put this poll together. So maybe you need to get with a young lady who is doing this for the nights and, or maybe they're told by real social media people, you don't give more than two choices. Don't overcomplicate. I want to find out. Do you have connections? Yeah, I'll find out. Do you it have looks connections? Like the, well, it looks like the, Conehead Sunday no longer on the menu at Friendly. Oh, did I just say yes to something that never existed? They do have something called the Hunka Chunka Peanut Butter Fudge Lava Cake. That sounds good. Not bad. The Reese's Peanut Butter Cup Sunday. Solid. I don't think they have the. Uh, they got the regular bananas, but I don't. They have, I don't think they have the five. Really? Scoop one anymore? The Jim Dandy's not around anymore. No, it's not on there. Wow. What are the odds that I have mint chocolate chip in a freezer at home? Probably pretty high. Yeah, pretty if it's high, your favorite yeah. ice cream, yes, I would yes, imagine. Yes. Also, you can click on the menu, but they don't tell you the price. So uh, probably well, different in every location. Yes. So we'll have to find out. Someone tweeted in last time you had a, a big Sunday at Friendly's chain that's not really near an, an, anything in Vegas. People could be listening. Uh, they might. That's a good point. That's a good point. We're national on the web. That's right. Okay. Let's give out some picks to the nation. Mountain West Conference teams in the NCAA tournament. Arizona State, two against Reno tomorrow. Who are you picking? Arizona State. I'm going to pick Nevada. Okay. I think Alfred's got the coaching advantage. I think they're basically even teams. I don't and, have a strong And, and I think they're going to be thrilled to be there. I think they're going to be very fired up. Yeah. I don't think I'll be betting the game. I just – I'll lean Arizona State. Yeah. And Keenan Blackshear is a real pain in the you-know-what to cover. Big guard, power guy, floater. Luckily, Reno didn't get worn out by playing every day. No, they didn't. That was a good argument we had in the, the, the middle hour. It really went nowhere. Uh, it, it was all revolving around San Diego State and the worries about San Diego State winning in the tournament. We're all here for you, Aztecs. Five and a half. 
Five and a half. Say it. Five and a half? There you go. Uh, Charleston. I'm not saying I'm picking Charleston. I'm just asking. I'm just telling you who they're I playing. Know. I really like Charleston. I don't I don't love the matchup for them. Um, I do think they might be a little bit too much of a popular dog. But I'll, Does that scare you? When- yes. Pop, I'm not one. I don't strictly base bets off the public. Um, off the public, yeah. like uh, not necessarily. But when it's a dog, I take that in consideration. Like if all the if the public's all on a favorite, I'm like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. When the entire public lines up on a dog and they pick a, a especially in the NCAA tournament, when they all pick like this is the dog, and they only watch them play like the championship game of their conference tournament, and everybody decides this is the you know the dog that's going to win, that starts to worry me. Charleston in the uh, CAA at the end of the season, last eight, nine games, uh, 84 points, 93, 83, 99, 88, 83, 92. Wow. This is a very easy total then, 141 and a half. I'll take the under. <laughs> that seems to be your – you just go against the prevailing opinion. I don't know if it's a prevailing opinion. I just know the first time you play San Diego State and you're an offensive team and you haven't seen what they do, it's not easy. So I could see this one being a rock fight in the 60s, which is actually a high-scoring rock fight for San Diego State. Well, I, th- I think that would probably be pretty bad for um, for Charleston because they really can't defend. So that would be probably that would probably be a problem. Uh, Boise State one and a half against Northwestern. I'm going to take Northwestern, and I still think Boise State is the best team in the Mountain West Conference, but uh, I don't like this matchup for Boise. I think, yeah, I think Northwestern's accustomed to playing brawl ball, like. Boise likes to play, so I think they'll be fine. The matchup's not great. I just don't think Northwestern's very good. And every time I watch them, they somehow win, and I'm like, they don't, they're not good. How do they win? Their, their guards are there's good. There's nothing impressive about them. They're fine. They're not, they don't, you don't watch them and say, oh, yeah, this team looks good. But they find ways to win. <laughs> and, and for some reason, as Sam Paniotovich pointed out last hour, uh, North, North, Northwestern has a big white who can dunk a lot in Nicholson. He's actually, he's a big, strong guy. He's pretty athletic. Yeah. Big white, though. Can't, can't. Athletic. Can't believe I said it. Uh, Utah State, one and a half against Missouri. I'm surprised by the spread. A lot of respect for the Aggies. Yeah, I think Missouri's kind of falling apart, though. And I don't I don't have a whole lot of respect for them. Whoever um, whoever wins this game is probably only winning one, but I, I just don't. Maybe it's just because we've seen Utah State more. Uh, I really like how they play. I love Odom as a coach. I, I think that they're in a good spot, and I just don't think Missouri's very good. Don't forget Lady Rebels, UNLV women's basketball team in action on Friday. It's a noon tip. They're an 11 seed. They're down in Baton Rouge. They're going against Adams, Michigan squad, the number six seed again, noon, and the play-by-play will be right here. The radio call will be right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Lady Rebels, noon, trying to make a drive in the NCAA tournament right here, noon tip on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow the guys on Twitter at Steve Cofield and at Adam Hill LVRJ or tweet the show at Cofield and Co. Cofield and Company presents Grab Bag only on ESPN Las Vegas. Stick your hand in there, Dave. We're going to get a Boise preview in about 10 minutes from one of the Boise TV guys. Jay Tust is going to join us. So a bunch of stuff to uh, round up on as we move into the second half of the five o'clock hour. You just did you just start looking at the uh, the TV mess that Major League Baseball is in with the regional networks? No, I'm just because they just made an announcement like ten minutes ago that popped up on Twitter. So what was the announcement? Did they officially declare bankruptcy with yeah, four of the teams? This is about the bankruptcy court, but they're going to try to play, pay employees and 
Um, sounds like it was positive in that regard, but no Four, real solution. 14 baseball teams uh, that you know have regional deals are under the ownership of uh, one dude, and with the Padres, the Reds, the Diamondbacks, and I'm blanking on the other one, they're going to declare bankruptcy saying they just can't make money off of those deals. Baseball tried to come in and take over all 14, and this group was like, nah, you can have the four that you know we're not making money on. Like, I mean, how do you make money on the Reds and Diamondbacks when the stated goal of ownership, especially, I mean, specifically stated by the Reds owners, is don't watch our games. Or watch our games or we'll leave. Not a lot of motivation there. And now those four teams are going to go to a pay-per-view model. So it'll be at least $15 a month to watch, especially the Reds and Diamondbacks on pay-per-view. Now, we, um, we've already had pay-per-view, but it's been folded in. It hasn't been kind of out front like, hey, here's the price just for this regional network. I don't know how people are going to greet it, especially in markets where, you know, there's like eight, nine markets in baseball where they're like, yeah, we can't compete. We're not going to try. Yeah, but come be, out and have hot dogs. It'll be interesting because that's only in the local market because I feel like you could you would just still get it from – if you're out of the market, you can just get it from the MLB package. So you can get the MLB the market, package probably for 200 bucks, but you have to pay for six months, you know, $100, $120. So the Red Sox, Red Sox pay-per-view is going to be $30 a month. And I think the New York area – same deal for baseball. It's probably going to be $25, $30 a month. Yeah, so you just have to get something that makes it look like you're in a different market? I guess. I guess that could yeah. be done. Yeah. Those things happen. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Boy, the Mavs have been a mess, right? Can't stay healthy. Kyrie and Luka, when they play together, it hasn't looked that good. So the backups got in yesterday. And Jaden Hardy, listen, he's not all the way there yet. But, man, I, I think that guy got slept on in the draft. And he went out yesterday, 20-year-old, you know, brother of Amari Hardy, local Coronado kid. Went out and twenty uh, had twenty eight points. So bright future. Josh Green too, of course. Uh, his his brother played at uh, UNLV under Marvin Menzies. So it should be it should be one of those teams that Vegas loves, for sure. Mavs jump on board. Well, why not? Right? Yeah. Chris Wood for now. Yeah. Vegas should embrace. That should be the team of Vegas for the playoffs. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Uh, the fun continues in Syracuse. Uh, apparently, one of the on-air contributors in Syracuse on ESPN Syracuse got fired because he was deemed too negative about Syracuse sports. Yeah, and he's a he's he's a blogger, a writer around the area. He's a columnist. He's like you. Sure. He works for Syracuse.com. Sure. And I saw the GM of the station said, "Listen, I'm a fan. I'll admit that, but uh, that Syracuse.com has an agenda against us, and this guy's too negative." And okay. also, uh, apparently, Jim Beheim is an investor in the station. Oh, nice. And a very close personal friend of the man who made the decision to fire oh, this really? guy, uh, which he, to his credit, acknowledged in the yeah, statement. Yeah. Flex, but, flex your muscle and say, hey, I'm the reason this guy got fired. But it's weird that he, I would think he would just say like, hey, look, you know, we make decisions based on ratings or who's listening or whatever, and it just wasn't working out anymore. Uh, he came out and just said, look, he's too negative, And I'm a friend of Beheim and he's a, you know, he's a, he's a business partner and we're not going to have him anymore. Follow the guys on Twitter at Steve Cofield and at Adam Hill LVRJ or tweet the show at Cofield and Co. When you look at those numbers, three years, $67.5 million, I don't want to say it's a bargain, but I think it's a really solid number. I think it allows the Raiders to continue to look at ways to improve the depth and talent at that position. I don't want to refer to Jimmy Garoppolo as a stopgap guy. In the last three years, Jimmy Garoppolo has led the National Football League in yards per attempt at 8.3. His record as a starting quarterback, he's 40-17. and 17. Hanging at the Battleborn Broadcast Center, it's Cofield and Company.
Raiders legend, Rich Gannon, with something nice to say about the Raiders quarterback. That's a change. He has not been high on Derek Carr at all the last couple of years. Jimmy G is uh, the big news from yesterday. Raiders today trade down Waller, pick up a wide receiver from the Patriots. And Jacoby Myers, pretty crazy stuff. Let's get into the NCAA tournament. Uh, we're tracking Texas Corpus Christi and SEMO. Uh, and right now it's a one-point game. Corpus Christi leading with three minutes left. Um, Boise State's playing in the tournament. They made it. Not a big shocker there. And we wanted to get the Boise State angles from Jay Tust, who uh, is a sports guy for KTVB. What's up, Jay? How we doing, fellas? March Madness is here. I know. I know. You know what? I, was, I actually wanted to go off on a tangent real quick here. I don't think I've ever had a chat with people or someone in Boise. I know BJ Rain's a big St. Louis guy, but no NFL follow there. But um, is there an NFL team that is followed the most in Boise? Okay, so I grew up in Seattle, so I'm a Seahawks fan. It's go. really okay. funny, though. Boise's like this melting pot because Denver's not that far away, and neither San Francisco and neither are the Seahawks. If I had to say, like, the, the most popular team, I do think it's the Seahawks now. But you really? see a ton of Niner fans that are kind of in their 30s and 40s because that's like – the football team that was on national television a bunch when they were kids and so they fell in love with you know jerry rice and um everybody back in those days and kind of joe montana and that's why i feel like a lot of niner fans for some reason so let's talk about the uh, where the uh, the broncos boise state broncos landed here i would think most boise fans have to be pretty happy with the seed but especially the location because you know it's not san diego state's going to orlando that's not an easy place to get to but for for boise fans not bad no, it's not bad. And I think going into Selection Sunday, a number of the people that I was talking to inside the program, they have a great respect for Northwestern, no doubt. But this is the, this is the, the dream matchup going in of anything that was out there that was even semi-realistic, being a 10 seed in Sacramento against a Northwestern team that has really hardly any NCAA tournament experience in their program's history um, this was the ideal matchup for Boise State to maybe, just maybe, chase their first ever NCAA tournament victory. So let's go back for a second before we break things down. What was it like after the semifinal loss? Because I thought, man, I'm sitting there, I'm like, okay, well, Leon Rice is good, man. Boise, this is my pick for the tournament. They're going to win the Mountain West Conference tournament. They're rolling along. It wasn't a giant lead, but they were in pretty good shape against Utah State. In the last 10 minutes, Jay, what happened? Yeah, great question. Um this is a team that just hasn't had a lot of depth all season long. And they've leaned on their five starters. And I think that when you have a few days off midweek, it's enough to kind of regroup and reload. I think the UNLV game was a little bit of a different scenario. Boise State was so hot that I think everybody kind of forgot UNLV was playing pretty good basketball in the first half, especially on the offensive end. And then UNLV continued that momentum in the second half, fed off their home crowd, and eventually made that a ball game and forced overtime. I think that, that, that just by simply going to overtime, I think it basically killed Boise State's chances, given their lack of depth, of coming back the very next day and beating a, a, a Utah State team that's been playing some really good basketball as of late. So um, they just kind of lost their confidence. You could see once that 11-minute mark hit in the second half, they just didn't have that normal pep in the step, their normal, their, their normal energy. And it's a big reason why they went on a, about a 10-minute uh, drought where they only made one field goal one field goal they went one for 12 um you know trying to come back and knock off utah state after they lost their lead and it just didn't work so you know i i think that this is the way we spin things guys like if it doesn't go well you kind of go glass half full approach and, and given their lack of depth 
Um, I think that maybe it's Boise State's benefit that they got another day, day and a half off to try to get back to Boise, regroup. They've already won the Mountain West regular season title under Leon Rice. They've won a tournament title under Leon Rice. They have not won an NCAA tournament game under Leon Rice or in program history um, overall. So that's what the focus needs to be, checking that box and then maybe taking the next step as a program. Boise State in the first round on Thursday in Sacramento, taking on the number seven seed Northwestern. It's a 435 tip-off Pacific time on True TV. Who do you think is the guy who has to play well, has to go out, and maybe it's not just scoring, but has to be in the game the entire way, you know, put up at least 13, 15 points for the Broncos to win? Who's the guy? If you asked me this question two months ago, I would have given you a completely different answer. But as I sit here today, Two days before tip-off between Boise State and Northwestern in the, in, in the NCAA tournament, I'm going to tell you it's Leon Rice's kid, Max Rice. They need him to shoot in order to win ball games. Uh, this season, they're 0-5 when he fails to make at least one three-pointer. 0-5. That puts them 24-4 and when he sinks even one three-pointer. They need him to be able to stretch out defenses and shoot the ball well, provide some space for Tyson Dagenhart to go to work down low, um, they need Max to play well. And in that semifinal, you know, a lot of people say, man, Max had one point. He played awful. I, I'm here to tell you guys, he didn't play that bad. It was Utah State that played outstanding defense against him. Um, he did not have, you know, much room to breathe. And uh, I really tip my cap to Utah State. But I would also expect a very confident and experienced Max Rice to answer the call um, in the biggest game of his life here on Thursday evening. When you talk about the draw and, you know, the excitement of, hey, look, this is a, a good scenario, try to get that first win, and obviously the focus on getting that first win, but you also have to have some kind of thought of, hey, UCLA next, and they're decimated by injury, they've got two starters potentially mm-hmm. not playing, like, there's a chance to get out of Sacramento. Oh, gentlemen, I, uh, I'm trying to not, I'm trying to not get too excited, but I, I'm kind of there with you, you know. The UCLA's of yesteryear where they had some NBA lottery picks and stuff like that, um, that's not necessarily this team. I mean, they might they have talent, do not get me wrong, but they've had kind of those perfect college guys that um, they're not quite good enough to go off to the, you know, and, and try to be first-round picks. But, man, they come back and they have this crazy experience and this connection to, together and Jaime and Tiger and those guys. And so uh, I, I'm kind of there with you. It, it seems to me – that there could be something special maybe that could happen. But Boise State has to put it together. They have to put it together. they got to go get Northwestern, build some confidence, and then go attack uh, what will likely be a UCLA squad. And then maybe, gentlemen, we can come visit and hang out with you guys in Las Vegas for the Sweet 16, which I would absolutely love. Well, I gave you the positive. Now I'll give you the other side of it. Oh, okay. uh, if they do win Thursday <laughs> – uh, if they do win Thursday, are you covering a press conference in Berkeley on Friday? Ooh. What's going on there? What? Leon Rice to count? Yeah. Really? Oh, come on now. Come on now. Um, I don't think so, but, man, um, you know, for me, I, I think that Leon, uh, he's going to have a lot of uh, attractive options. I, I, I'm breathing a little bit easier now that uh, Mike Hopkins is going to stay at UW, their athletic director recently said they're giving him one more year. Um, I think that's a big deal because that is an attractive destination. I, I know that area. I know that team. There's a lot of good recruits in that area. I think Leon, um, it kills me because I'm a Washington State alumnus, and I would hate to see it, 
So was Leon, for that matter. Um, but I felt like that would be a, a, an ideal spot for him. Um, Lee, I, man, Kyle's a tough gig. You know, Leon has turned down uh, sources, say. Um, Leon's turned down Washington State twice, his alma mater. And they offered to pay him more than Boise State could pay him. But he sees the bigger picture. He wants to be able to sustain something and, and have support to be a winner. I just don't know if Cal is that place. And so I'm going to guess that it's, it's not going to be – I'm going to guess no. I'm not covering a press conference in Berkeley, California this week. Well, Kyle Smith could go to Cal, and then Washington State could offer Leon again, too. You gotta, okay, now you're just creating other scenarios. Come on. <laughs> I just want to enjoy March Madness. <laughs> so if if Boise does not win, is this season a failure? I don't think it is. They've got to win a game at some point in the NCAA tournament. They they absolutely have to. But to go twenty four and nine, I mean, let's not. I, it, I don't want to lose um, perspective on what this program has still achieved. This is only the fifth time in program history they've cracked twenty four wins in a single season. Um, over the last two seasons combined. They have 51 total wins. That's tied for uh, 15th most last uh, when I checked yesterday. Tied for 15th most in the country during that span. I mean, they've achieved a lot these last two years. They got to get over the hump in the NCAA tournament at some point. But I don't want. I'm not going to be unrealistic. I, I feel like or um, too short-sighted and say if they don't get one more win this season, that it was a complete failure. Will some people be disappointed? Absolutely. But um, I don't. I, I think that Leon Rice is doing a fantastic job here building this thing, and uh, I think the, only the best is yet to come. Given the fact that he's got great support now from his athletic director, his school president, um, they're really, really close, guys, to starting to kick off some really big uh, basketball renovations, both to Extra Mile Arena and more. Uh, more, uh, I would say, in the near future, their basketball practice facility, the Argentona Center. Jay, we appreciate you stepping up. Have fun in Sacramento, and we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Can't wait, fellas. Enjoy March Madness. There he is, Jay Tuss, KTVB. Um, I think it will be a disappointment if Boise doesn't win a game in the tournament. They got He's got to start winning some games. I mean, he's got the program at a level now where they're the second best or number three program in the conference. You got to win games. Um, I, I don't know where you stand on Cal, and I don't want to judge by what we've seen lately. I just don't know where Cal is like from an athletic standpoint at this point. If they offer him three mil a year, which I don't think they can. But at that point, is Leon Rice like, all right, Boise can't match that. I think Boise can bump up the salary. What would you do? I don't know if I'd take it. I mean, I I saw the list. It's Rice, Tim Miles, Joe Pasternak, Randy Bennett, Ryan Odom, Russell Turner, uh, Mike McPio, who just won the uh, Big West Coach of the Year. Um I don't know. I mean, those are all those are all coaches that are doing a really good job. I think Odom's more likely to get a high level job. I think Odom, Ryan Odom at Utah State, obviously, he's got the coaching lineage, right? His yeah. dad's you know an all time great coach in the ACC. I mean, to me, he should be in the mix for Georgetown, St. John's, and uh, Notre Dame. What job am I missing? There's another big job out there. That whole list of the jobs, but he should be in for every one of them. Yeah, I would think so. For sure, but and Cal would have to pay, and you're you're right that it's not, it doesn't look like they're fully invested in athletics right now necessarily. Well, they're just having it; they're having an incredibly tough time financially. That's yeah. the biggest issue. There, sure. it seems like they're. Uh, I don't know if they're still a hundred in the hole, but yeah, job openings are Georgetown, Texas, Notre Dame, Texas Tech, and St. John's. I don't think he's a match for Texas Tech or Texas, but would it be a reach for Notre Dame to do it? 
you know, grab a guy while he's young and he's done a pretty good job at Utah State. And he walked into a really good situation, although he did add both of the bigs, Funk and Akin, this year. It'd be interesting if the conference, you know, if one of the, because they are the three best programs right now, San Diego State, Utah State, and Boise State, if one of them lost their coach. We know Dutcher's not going anywhere anytime soon. No, he's good. Do we have a final in? I was, there was 30 seconds left. I saw 72-69. 72-71, Corpus Christi in the first play-in for the NCAA tournament. 15 seconds left in that one. Thanks to Battleborn Injury Alerts for housing the show today in the Battleborn Broadcast Center. Calling from anywhere in the state of Nevada, 766-1400. For Adam, for Ari, it's Cofield. We'll see you tomorrow as the madness continues.